Welcome back to Observing the Sabbath. I'm your host, Nathaniel Molnar, and this is it. We're kicking off our look at Black Sabbath's fourth studio album, aptly titled Volume 4. Now, originally, they were going to call it Snowblind after uh, the song, of course, Snowblind on the B-side, but uh, the studio was not going to let them call their album such an obvious reference to cocaine, so they called it Volume 4 instead, which... I would have been perfectly fine if they called it Snowblind. I would have been perfectly fine if they called it Supernaut or any of the other songs on the album. I do think Volume 4 is pretty, you know, it's not the most original title, but it fits for what this is. So it, it's a cool, I think it's a cool title. I think it's a cool album cover I just kind of enjoy in general. And I've alluded to this throughout, but Volume 4 is my favorite of the Black Sabbath albums, at least right now. One thing I've noticed about myself is my opinion on what's the best song, what's the best album, what's the best this, what's the best that is always changing. You know, it's always fluid. Uh, for a long time, I held Sabotage to be my favorite album, and then it wasn't until I got Volume 4 on vinyl and listened to it as a all the way through as a record that... I really came to realize, no, this is my favorite album as a whole. Um, and Sabotage is probably maybe two or something like that. I'm not exactly sure off the top of my head. I'd have to sit down and think about it a little bit more. But Volume 4 is just fantastic. Uh, I absolutely adore this album. And I'm very excited to get into it and talk about all of these different songs. So we're going to kick things off today with Wheels of Confusion. Now... I'm going to throw this over to you guys because I really want to know from you um, on Spotify, whenever I listen to this, um, and I can't remember if it's actually on the record or not, whether it's labeled this way, but when you bring up this song on Spotify, it's Wheels of Confusion slash The Straightener. And while I kind of know from uh, all of the, um, on Black Sabbath, the original album, or Master of Reality, why it has sort of the multiple names, because it's the different parts that they're putting together. I've never quite understood why Wheels of Confusion is also slash the straightener. So if you guys have any sort of answers or know of why that's also part of the name, or if it's just like they were just kind of fucking around, they're like, oh, let's also call it the straightener. I don't know. If you guys have any answers to that, please let me know in the comment section. But we're going to dive into this song, and this is just... This is one of, if not my favorite Black Sabbath song, period. For a while, it was my favorite Black Sabbath songs. I don't know if it still is. Um, I've been saying multiple times that once I finish going through all the albums, I'm going to sit down and actually do a official ranking, song by song by song, all the songs that Black Sabbath has done. Uh, so I don't know what it will be when I actually do that in you know 20 years from now, when I actually get through all the albums. But... Uh, as of now-ish, I mean, it's if it's not my number one, it's certainly like up there. Wheels of Confusion is just phenomenal. So I, I don't want to say any more. Let's just get right into it. This is Wheels of Confusion. And now. Immediately, we just start right into it. No fade in. We're just right into it. 
There's so many great riffs in this song. Tony really just packs this song just filled with great riffs. And I love this riff. It's slow, it's methodical. You get a lot of this throughout the album, like Snowblind has a lot of those sort of long-form riffs. You know, in like Paranoid, the album, you have a lot of songs that are uh, very fast-paced. You know, like Paranoid itself is a very fast-paced song and you have very fast riffs, whereas uh, Volume 4 has a lot more of these kind of flowing riffs where it just kind of takes its time. I love the lyrics in this song. You know, it, it's very interesting and existential. Tony brings it back. It's a great riff. There's a lot of, like, very consistent um, themes throughout this album in terms of what they're, you know, singing about and speaking about. There's a lot of, like, looking at life in its entirety and, and sort of just going through and looking at sort of the uh, facades that people have about life and existence and kind of stripping it away to its bare essence of we're on this earth and we're gonna live and this earth is just spinning and it'll keep spinning once you're dead. Uh, you get into some of that with Under the Sun, kind of talking about people ruling the nation and you just laugh at their frustration. Uh, you go a lot into sort of the mind and you have cornucopia talks about, you know, the heaviness of someone's mind. Um, there's a lot of really interesting themes on this album. And this is where the song picks up. I always talk about what would be the mosh moment in certain songs. Um, like, what was the moment where the mosh pit would just start going? And it's that part for this song. I love that little just sort of part on uh, Tony's end. Now this is a really interesting part because it, it does slow down and you just have like these really interesting sounds like the that part the little like there's just like really interesting things going on. There's a lot like I mentioned at the top that this song is just packed. They just have so many interesting things going on. And I think what you can tell is, and I've talked about this numerous times as we went through the first three albums. The first two albums were them essentially recording their live sets. These were the sets that they had on stage that they did, and they recorded essentially that. Then when you got to Master of Reality, they were actually in the studio, recording, uh, fine tuning, you know, really, creating an album as opposed to just recording their live set. Now once you get to volume four, and essentially, and really you can hear it in this song so much, you have them sort of marrying the two. In that, you have sort of the visceral feel of them playing their live show, but you can also see how they're crafting these albums and creating it, as opposed to just recording it. 
uh, and it feels so much more intricate, and it feels more deliberate, and you, you can tell what they're exactly going for, uh, and just how smart they are in terms of how they link the songs together, how they go float between riffs, and how they really incorporate so many different elements into the song themselves. I love this whole part. And you know there's never been a winner. Try your hardest, you'll still be the loser. It's a great part. Now we're kind of getting to the point where what I would imagine if we're actually going to distinguish these as Wheels of Confusion and the Straightener, um, where we're kind of, the Wheels of Confusion end and the Straightener begins, which is right about here. And I love, I love this whole next part. It's so good because the song feels like it's over and then it comes in strong. And you just kind of get this like little jam session. Uh, and it's such a great way to open the album. If you really think about Wheels of Confusion as the opening song, you have this sort of, you know, slower riff, and then you have these great lyrics and these interesting things, and then you just kind of transition into this sort of long-form jam session. Like, we're looking at the next two or so minutes is just sort of just them just jamming and playing around. I love the drums. Tony's just so great. See, I love... Something I love about Tony is that he finds very unique ways to do guitar solos. Because if you look at a lot of songs, you kind of have... There's a... Not Sabbath songs, but just songs in general. There's a very sort of structure to it where you have the chorus, you have the verse, you have the this verse, and then you have the chorus, and then you have the bridge, and then you have the guitar solo, and... They really find very interesting ways to kind of get away from formula and just kind of do their own thing. So when you listen to the song, you wouldn't necessarily think, of, hey, this is the guitar solo, but that's really what it is. It's the guitar solo. It's just, it's not even, I don't even know if I can call it a guitar solo. It's just letting Tony do his thing and just play around and jam. You can definitely feel at this point how comfortable they are with each other. I mean, that's apparent from the outset, but they've really, at this point now, it's 1972, um, they formed as Earth in 1968, so they've been together for four years. They put out now, this is their fourth album as Black Sabbath, um, you can tell they're, they're very in tune with each other. And something like this little jam session, I'm not sure, now I don't know the history of this part. I don't know if this is something where they just kind of were in the studio and they were just jamming around and they're like, oh, let's put that in. Or if this was something that was kind of rehearsed and planned. I don't know if they even remember because they were on so much drugs at the time. I don't know if they remember themselves how it came about. But, um, so that's the end of the song. Wheels of Confusion is just phenomenal. Probably one of, if not the strongest, album opener of the of all their albums. It's just, it, it's great. It, it infuses, in one song, it infuses so much of what Black Sabbath is. The slower riffs, the more meticulous, 
elements and then you just got the jam sessions with Tony just going all over the place on the guitar. Uh, you have great drums, great bass. Ozzy's got some great vocals in there. Um, and it, it's not, it, it's everything that really Black Sabbath is, all their different elements wrapped up into one song. Uh, and they just do such a phenomenal job. You would think by the time that they're going into their fourth album, they definitely have a level of popularity now. They definitely have an audience. They're definitely touring the world and they're, they're, they're doing all these great things now. You would think that they would kind of play into the convention a little bit. They would play into uh, the popularity. But instead, what they're doing is they're still just making stuff that goes against the grain, that goes against the formula. I mean, at this point, like, is it really the best idea to have the opening of the album be this, like, six-minute song that has a two-minute instrumental jam session? And, and that's not really something that's formulaic. That's just them doing their thing. And you can tell when you listen to their music, they are... are before you get into like technical ecstasy and stuff before that they don't care what people think they don't care what people expect and they don't care what people are looking for for them to do they're just going to do what they want to do and that's just one of the best parts about them as a band because their music holds up because they don't try to play into what people wanted them to be they were what they were and the people who appreciate it will always appreciate it. And the people who don't get it are missing out. Wheels of Confusion is just one of the best embodiments of Black Sabbath. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a purist in that. If someone were to ask me, like, play the... Where should I start as a Black Sabbath fan? Where should I start listening? I'm going to say the beginning. Start with Black Sabbath, buy Black Sabbath on the album Black Sabbath, and make your way through. That will always be my answer. But if I were to ha uh, if I were to point to maybe not the definitive one, but one of the songs that I would say most encompasses what Black Sabbath is, Wheels of Confusion would be one of them. Absolutely. Like for everything that I mentioned, it's top notch Tony, top notch geezer, top notch Ozzy, top notch Bill. It's all the different elements that make them unique wrapped up into one song. And it's just such a killer opening. It's such a fantastic opening to the album. Uh, and I, I just think Wheels of Confusion slash The Straightener is a fantastic song. So that's all my thoughts on the song. I want to know what are your thoughts on Wheels of Confusion? Do you agree with everything I'm saying or do you disagree? Do you have some differing thoughts is it maybe not one of your favorites? Leave all your thoughts in the comment section below. We already did Wheels of Confusion, and now we are continuing on through with Tomorrow's Dream. So without any further ado, let's just get right into it. This is Tomorrow's Dream. And now. Great drums. Just cool. Excellent opening. I love the distortion on uh, Tony's guitar. I kind of talked about in Master of Reality, 
I talked about there were a couple of songs that just felt like... I don't want to say just because it sounds like it's minimizing the songs, but there are transitionary songs where it feels like they're taking you from one part of the album to the other. And I'd say for Volume 4, uh, this one and Cornucopia kind of have that feeling to them. This is also one of those songs that kind of has a more minimal amount of uh, riffs and parts to them. With something like Wheels of Confusion, there's so many different elements, so many different, even just tiny, tiny little riffs and moments that it just kind of jumps all around over. Um, with something like Tomorrow's Dream, it kind of has just a few parts that it jumps back and forth to. I'd say something like St. Vitus' Dance, uh, also on this album, is similar to that. Cornucopia is a little bit like that as well, where it just kind of has a few riffs, a few parts that it jumps between. And it's meant to be a shorter song, it's meant to be sort of that kind of transitionary song between one part of the album to the next, um, as opposed to being like the standout, you know, there aren't too many people who look at Volume 4 and say the standout song of Volume 4 is Tomorrow's Dream. Uh, and likewise, you don't have too, too many people saying the standout song of Master of Reality is After Forever or Lord of This World, you know, it's meant to take you through the album. There's also a lot of similarities uh, in just like the tone of the guitar and everything with uh, Tomorrow's Dream and Cornucopia. Sometimes I kind of, briefly, sometimes I get them a little bit mixed up in my head. I like that nice little, it's not really a solo, it's just kind of like a nice little interlude in the middle of the song. Ozzy's voice sounds great here. You can hear a lot of the emotion and the, and the pain. Well, I think, I think Ozzy's voice from album one through six, every album just gets better and better and better and I think it kind of peaks at uh, sabotages when his voice is the best and then technical and ecstasy and never say die it kind of dips down see that's the end of the song it's a very short song uh, technical ecstasy and uh, never say die his voice kind of dips down in terms of quality and range um, it peaks at sabotage but volume four is just you could tell he's just getting better and better at what he does there are a couple love-related songs on this album. Uh, you have this one where, you know, the the singer is going to meet this person, uh, run away together. Uh, St. Vitus's Dance is about a person who broke um, Ozzy's heart or, you know, whoever the, the narrator person is. It's Ozzy singing it. It's Geezer who wrote it. So it's sort of nebulous as to whose perspective this is really coming from. And I guess you could say also changes is I, I would, it's not necessarily a love song as much as it is a heartbreak song, um, but you do have a few of those sprinkled throughout this album. And ironically, I've mentioned before that I'm just not a fan of love songs, just straight love songs. Um, and what I, I mentioned this during the Black Sabbath album, because I talked about that, that album has two of them. It has Warning, which is a cover, and it has N.I.B., 
But the great thing about NIB is that it feels like, or on the surface seems like a love song, but it's really about a person being seduced by Lucifer. And so it has this sort of twist on it that makes it not really like a conventional love song. Volume 4 has a couple just more conventional love songs, but what makes it unconventional is the the tone of it ozzy's voice the the riffs that tony comes up with just the sheer force and power of the songs um and so there's a lot of interesting things going on that kind of overtake its more conventional uh love song undertones and makes it more of an undertone rather than just something flat on the surface you know there's a distinct difference between something like tomorrow's dream or saint vitus's dance and I don't know, a Mariah Carey, Demi Lovato love song. You know, there's distinct differences between them. Um, even if the subject matter at its very root is very similar. And so that's something that I think they do very well in volume four is really kind of going beyond convention. Uh, and even if some of the subject matter, even some of the things are somewhat conventional, they kind of twist and distort it in a way to make it rather unique to this album. So Tomorrow's Dream, I think, um, is, I think it's a really good song. You know, it's got, it's got good momentum. It's got good force. It doesn't let up. It doesn't, it, it kind of just drives all the way through to the very end. And it's a short song. It's about three minutes, which is short for Sabbath. Um, there's a lot of great things in there. And I, I think there's a lot of interesting parts, uh, great drumming. I think probably the strongest element of the song is Bill's drumming. Uh, it's very forceful and, and intentful. So, I don't know if intentful is a word. It has a lot of intent to it. There we go. So, anyways, those are my thoughts on Tomorrow's Dream. I want to know, what are your thoughts? Do you like the song? Do you agree with me and my thoughts on it's kind of like the short but sweet, the uh, transitionary song? Or would you say it's a song that, no, when I look at Volume 4, Tomorrow's Dream is one of the absolute standout songs of the album. I want to know. Leave me all of your thoughts in the comment section below. We've done Wheels of Confusion, we've done Tomorrow's Dream, and now we are doing Changes. Which I always say, every Sabbath album has the slow song. For Master of Reality, it was Solitude. For Paranoid, it was Planet Caravan. And for Volume 4, it's Changes. Uh, and when I talked about Solitude on Master of Reality, one of the things I did, I talked a little bit about Changes, and I commented on the fact that for Solitude, for this ballad that Solitude was, Ozzy changes his voice so that he doesn't have sort of his trademark um, sound to him, but rather he has more of a like a like a ballad tone to him. It, it's a very distinct, different voice that he does. And one of the things I had said in that video was, I wonder if changes on volume four would have a little bit more uh power and strength to it had he used a voice similar to that as opposed to his trademark aussie voice so i think that's something to keep in mind and consider and i'll talk more about it as we listen to the song um but changes is a very interesting song and, and I, there's a lot going on so let's just dive right into it this is changes and now I love the piano. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's Bill Ward who did the piano for this. Um, if I'm mistaken on that, please correct me, but I believe that's who did the, the piano. But I love the do 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 
It's beautiful. I kind of go back and forth on Ozzy's vocals for this. Because as I was just talking about, like, what if he used his solitude voice for this song It might have had a little bit more power? But then I also listen to the song and I hear Ozzy's voice and you hear the anguish and the pain and the struggle and the emotion in his voice. Would that necessarily have carried through had he used his solitude voice as opposed to his more traditional Ozzy voice? I don't know. I really kind of like, because the song is obviously about, you know, the the point the point of view of the, the person singing the song has lost somebody that they love, their significant other who left them, and they're just feeling all this regret and they wish they could change. And it's not just change their past and what had happened, but that they themselves are now changing as a person. And I really like that sort of approach to the song. Because it's really showing about how this is a defining moment for this person. And going forward, they will be fundamentally changed as a person. And tackling, obviously the song is called Changes, the chorus of the song is I'm going through changes. I think approaching the song in that way about the change that this brings to a person. I think that's a really powerful thing. And I think that is more powerful than just a song about being dumped. <laughs> you know, we have plenty of those. But that's sort of, as I was kind of talking about with Marv's Dream, taking something that's conventional and adding elements that make it unconventional and unique. That's something that this song has. It's not just a conventional song about getting dumped, but it's bringing this element of sort of that this person is now changing as a person and going forward they are looking at life through new lenses and wishing that they could go back and change these years uh and i think that sort of gives a more universal nature to the song that this idea of going through changes it's not just about this one isolated uh, story of a person getting dumped but it can apply to a plethora of different things that would cause us as people to go through changes and I think that's a really powerful element of this song. I love all the instrumentation. I love the, I love the the piano. Um, this little I can't tell if this is like a like a keyboard. It's some sort of like synth, I think. I can't. I'm not the greatest when it comes to discerning musical instruments. So if someone knows all the different elements going on in the song, please let me know in the comment section. But uh, I. It all blends so well. And once again, it shows Black Sabbath is willing to, to go places that they haven't gone before and do things. They're willing to create a, a full-on ballad and they don't feel the need to, in the middle of this song, have Tony break out his great guitar riff. Because they know it. the last song had a great guitar riff, they know the next song's gonna have a great guitar riff, so why not let this one be this? I know this is a very powerful uh, and meaningful song to Ozzy himself and his daughter, 
Kelly, um, with a lot that happened with um, with Sharon Osbourne, um, Kelly's mom, and uh, and uh, Ozzy's wife. And I know this song has a lot of meaning to them, and I think kind of hearing them talk about the song and what that means to them has kind of shaped my opinion on what the song means to me. So that is the end of Changes. Uh, it, it's 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 a beautiful song. I think if I had to choose between Changes and Solitude, I kind of go lean more towards Solitude. But Changes is a great song, very well crafted. I love the piano. Can you still call it a riff if it's a piano? I I don't know, but that do 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 like that i think that's just beautiful and it fits the song so well the lyrics are great again i kind of go back and forth of it's sort of like it's a question i'll never have an answer would the song have had more power if he had used his solitude voice as opposed to his traditional aussie voice or would the emotion and the anguish and the pain not have come through we'll never know um but it, it's a very nice song it's a very nice break in the album before you go into FX, which then ultimately leads into Supernaut, which is like the most high-paced, fast-energy um, song of the whole album. Uh, and so I, I think Changes is a very nice song, and it, it's good to have. And after you have sort of the all the different elements going on in Wheels of Confusion with the transitionary song of After Forever with the heavy drums and the distortion to then kind of have that sort of quiet ballad before you go into FX, which is just a bunch of noises that leads into Supernaut, which is the the most, like, kick-ass, yeah, song of the whole album. Uh, I think Changes is a nice little break right in the middle of the A side of the of the record. So that's all my thoughts on changes. I want to know from you guys, what do you think? Do you agree with me and my thoughts on changes? Or is it a song that doesn't quite work for you guys? I want to know. Leave your thoughts in the comment section below. I'm your host, Nathaniel Wolnar. I'm joined once again by Johnny Gifford. Johnny, thanks for being here. Always a pleasure, Nathaniel. Thank you for having me. It's always great to have you on board. Mm. Uh, so this is our first video together for Volume 4. Um, so I've already done videos for Wheels of Confusion. I did it for Tomorrow's Dream. I did it for Changes. And now we are continuing on through the album with FX. Uh, one of the most interesting instrumentals that Black Sabbath has ever done. Uh, and I wanted to do a standalone video uh, because in the past I have wrapped in some of the instrumentals in with uh some of the other songs i wanted to do a standalone video for this because i think there's a lot to unpack here and i think there's a lot of specific insight that you'll be able to give into this song uh being a guitar player yourself uh and i can very loosely uh attribute that term to myself very 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 <laughs> loosely um but it's a very interesting uh piece but we'll get into it in just a second um so let's kick things off with Let's listen to FX. You ready? Let's do it. Yeah. And now. So as we're listening, Johnny, do you want to just kind of mm. point out what you're hearing? Yeah, I'm basically just hearing someone takes a guitar, they lay it down on a table, and then they just drop stuff on it, and they add a little echo effect to it. <laughs> it's like they're just kind of tapping something on it right now. 
but then later on they kind of start dropping stuff on it. Just like, I, I know the song started with like Tony Iommi's uh, cross he was wearing around his neck. Mm. He like accidentally hit the guitar and they were like, oh, let's just like make a track with that. Yeah. But um, then they just, from what I know, they just started like dropping other stuff on it at that point. And they added that really quick delay to it too. So it gives it this kind of like mystical, like uh, ke- it keeps moving, you know, it keeps moving. Mm. But it's like at the same time, it's kind of suspenseful and kind of like it sets kind of like a a weird tone. It it, it definitely is a good build up to Supernaut, um, the yeah. quiet before the storm, you know. Definitely. It's it's kind of eerie, I guess is the word I was looking for. Mm. It is very eerie, and I love the the build up. Like it it starts very mm-hmm. slow, and then it's kind of just adding more and more layers on top of each other. Do you know the other part of the story behind the song? Uh, I don't think so. So, uh, yes, part of it is that Tony Iommi's, his cross fell on it, created the initial sound, and they went from there. The other part of it is that um, when they were making the song, they were incredibly drunk, and that's the end of the song. (laughs) They were incredibly drunk, completely coked out their minds, and without them really knowing exactly how it happened, they all ended up completely naked while recording that song. (laughs) <laughs> and we're just fucking around with the guitar, completely naked, completely drunk and coked out of their yeah. minds. And that's how you get FX. Wow. What a beautiful story. But I, I think that is just one of, and there's a very similar kind of uh, instrumental piece when you get the sabotage called Don't Start Too Late, uh, where they kind of just fuck around with the guitar, make some interesting noises, uh, and you get just a nice little piece in the middle of the album or at the very mm. beginning. But I I really like something like this uh, on the album uh, because it it to me it just kind of shows that while they're making a lot of songs like especially if you look at Paranoid and Master of Reality they are creating these songs that are taking the world by storm they're becoming iconic pieces of music that people are still talking about and recognizing fifty years later that are like a like a staple of music and creed and they in themselves without them really knowing created an entire genre of music for them to then just have a piece of time about like a minute and a half where they're just fucking around with a guitar making sort of nonsensical noises while naked and completely inebriated um it just shows like that there's a there's a fun element for them while making this you know they're just having fun they're just kind of messing around uh, they're not taking it too, too seriously, and they're just putting out something that's just really kind of fun and innovative. And I love the energy of just them, like, totally being cool with just throwing this on the album as, like, a little interlude track. Like, a lot of musicians get really caught up in the the professionalism aspect of it, and, like, every track has to sound perfect, and it has to, like, flow perfectly, but they're just, like, I mean, given they're taking a lot of drugs, they're just having fun with it, like, good for them, really. But they just don't care. They're just yeah. like, yeah, we'll, th- we'll throw this on the album. Why, why, why the hell not? <laughs> and yeah. honestly, it makes it makes for a really interesting sound, especially if you go into it just like you listen to this album, you don't really know what it's going to sound like going into it. It's just another element that helps set the tone for who Black Sabbath is in general, and especially leading up to like the next couple of songs that they're going to like just smash right into, which the center of their albums are always like the most explosive parts, I think. Yeah, from what I remember, 
I like because yeah, we have Snowblind and Supernat yeah. in the middle of this album, and so this is really setting the stage for like what's to come next. It's like it's like your little introduction. Definitely, and I think also coming off of changes where you kind of have mm. like a more emotional song and yeah. a slower song. I always say that each album has the slow song. Changes is definitely that slow song on Volume Four. So you're coming off of changes where it's much more slower paced. You have the piano. uh, And so that's definitely a change of pace for what Sabbath is. Uh, And then you go from that into this. It's kind of like you're going from you have like a whole array of emotions that you're kind of experiencing all within a span of a few different songs. You go from like the solemn, the sad song changes into FX, which is a little bit more eccentric and kind of strange. And then you go right Mm -hmm. into Supernaut, which is just jam packed and full of energy. Yep. So I, I think FX, I, I've read online some people don't really care for FX, which I, I can understand to an extent. Like if you're listening right. to volume four, say on Spotify, where you have individual songs, I can understand FX is just kind of like one that's there and it doesn't really produce much. But I would say if you're listening to volume four as a record and you just sit it down uh, on your record player and listen to it all the way through it has a nice flow to it, and FX is just like an interesting little uh, side tangent on the album that just kind of goes off into this little bit, and then it just picks right up and goes right into Supernaut. And I do think it has a very, it, it, it works very well as a very nice flow transition right into Supernaut. Exactly, and I'm sure they probably could care less about that at the time of them making it. It was more like, just to throw in there as a joke, like I was saying earlier, but the fact that we can look at this, this album and the way that they put that in there, the spot that they put that in there and just the overall flow that it gives the album. And we're still talking about this, like however many years later means that they, they definitely did something right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think that kind of speaks to the, the immortality of music Mm. and art really where something that can just be in the moment, uh, you're completely drunk, completely high, and you're just fucking around with and a naked. guitar. Yeah, I think and, I cut out and for a naked. Moment. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, completely drunk, completely high, completely naked, uh, just fucking around with a guitar, uh, and that that will be immortalized and and forever. That that as long as there are people listening to music and as long as people choose to listen to Black Sabbath, they are gonna hear that. And mm. I I think that's something about art that I've always been drawn to, that something can be set in stone and just exist. Uh, And it really doesn't ultimately matter what are the circumstances or the context around something being set into stone. All that matters is what's there. And so so it's nice to kind of know like the little, the story behind FX, but at the end of the day, all that really exists is FX. Yep, and to the people who are complaining about it and saying it doesn't really do much for them, it's a minute and a half of your time. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> you can't really yeah. complain that much, honestly. <laughs> you know, I was going to say Volume 4 was a 10 out of 10, but that one minute and a half in the middle of the album, ah. <laughs> so, uh, Just ruined the whole thing. Yeah. So uh, do you have any other thoughts on FX? No. All right, so that's going to do it. So those are our thoughts on FX. Uh, once again, I'm Nathaniel Molnar. I want to thank Johnny Gifford for being here, for helping me out with this. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, Nathaniel. Uh, so we're going to continue on through, and we will be talking about Supernaut. 
So you want to come back and check that out. And I want to know from you, what are your thoughts on FX? Do you agree with us that it's like it's interesting and, and you like its place in the album? Or are you like some of those other people who we've disviewed and uh, said is wrong? Uh, do you agree with them? And say that uh, it it's not that great, and that it kind of takes up place uh, space on the album. I want to know. Leave your thoughts in the comment section. Uh, so you joined us last for while we talked about FX, uh, one of the more interesting instrumentals mm. for uh, that Black Sabbath has really ever done. Uh, and now we're going straight into Supernaut. Uh, which, of course, has always been the opener for the Observing the Sabbath uh, videos. Uh, I've always thought... It, it's funny because I've heard that song so many times, not just because every time that I edit Observing the Sabbath, I hear that song, but just because it's such a damn good song. <laughs> I listen to it a lot. Um, Supernaut is such a timeless song and probably just one of the top, top, top tier Sabbath songs. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Where does this where does this song rank in like your your top Black Sabbath songs? I know it's up there. In my top five. Rough, yeah, yeah. Like I don't know exactly five. where, but definitely. Yeah, oh, it's, it's a hard five. question. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so I'm not gonna say any more. So let's just dive right into it. So this is Super Not. You ready? Yep. All right, and now. Ooh, opening hi-hat just like it's such a good transition from FX too it's like that constant kind of like tones and then whoosh, here we go yeah it just takes Here's you the ride. now I, I think it's interesting that the next song on this album is the song about cocaine because that song Snowblind is like the sort of quieter like it kind of it slows down a little bit but this is the song that's like all the energy mm. So I always kind of interpret it like exactly. this is like the the high paced uh, energetic part of uh, I've never been on cocaine, but I would imagine from everything I know, you have the high paced uh, frenetic part and then you yep. kind of die down from there. And I think they kind of show that with the two songs back to back. Yeah, they really do. It's I, I view this song as like the inspiring, like self-confidence, like boosts and like everything is so great from you know, from the drugs, but also I think the message of the song is more just like, oh, be the best person you can be, like, you don't need anyone, you got yourself, you know, like, yeah, kind of in, a, in an inspiring way, and then the next song is just, you're really just in that, like, drugged out haze, even though cocaine is, like, yeah, traditionally viewed as, like, a speed drug, um, just, there's just so much intense drug usage on their part in general throughout that song and this album and their career that... It's just kind of the vibe that that they want to give you, even though it's specifically about cocaine. Yeah, definitely. I agree with all that. Uh, and I think you're talking about this theme of not relying on anyone but yourself. Yeah. That is a very constant theme throughout this whole album. Uh, you see it on Wheels of Confusion. You see it here. You definitely see it in Under the Sun. Uh, and that's part of why uh, Volume 4 is, I think, my favorite Black Sabbath album. Is I really love the themes and messages of this, um, this album, in addition to just all the great riffs and all the great songs and everything like that. Uh, you also get that in uh, Cornucopia a little bit as well. 
guitars yeah. and the riffs in this song is just top notch. Yeah, the, the riff, that riff is so memorable. And also, I don't, I don't think they're doing it right now, but at the beginning, oh, now they're doing it. There's a really beautiful harmony to the riff that Tony is playing, like, sort of in the background. You can hear it in the right ear a bit. Mm. It's following the same riff, but it's just, like, just very pleasing to the ears to hear that perfect harmony. And now we have this part of the song, which goes just drums and then all this weird auxiliary percussion and acoustic guitar. I think that's really cool, too. And I, I hear, like, bands do that nowadays as, like, a kind of like a silly, we don't take ourselves seriously joke kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And these are the guys that really started it. They pioneered that kind of, like... Don't take yourself seriously. I and mean, we heard that with FX too. It's a joke. But the music still sounds kind of very serious. Yeah. And I, I really like like this placement within the song. Because I feel like where this happens is typically where Tony would get his big solo. Um, and yeah. you don't really need it with Supernaut. Because I feel like the entire song is his solo. You know, yeah, it's, pretty such much. A, it's such a guitar-driven and guitar-heavy song that the break from it, what differentiates it, would be to have the sort of percussion-y drum part that's like so tonally very different from the rest of it, but it fits so much in life. I feel like in so many ways they're they're saying fuck you to the record companies and in uh in this song just because like you know throughout the lyrics it's quite literal like like i don't need you i don't need this i don't need to pretend i got all i want like don't try to reach me um and then just like that part we were talking about specifically too it's like the record company's like all right we need the big solos we need uh the hard-hitting parts like to, to sell some records and they're just like nah we're just gonna throw some wacky stuff in here <laughs> definitely and then our slow zoom and out, i think or just fade out. one of my yeah, night beautiful fade out. Um, I one of mm. just the the final uh, verses of this song is just some of my absolute favorite. Got no religion, don't need no friends. Got all I want, I don't need to pretend. So don't try to reach me, cause I'll tear up your mind. I've seen the future and I left it behind. <laughs> it's 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 yeah. it's cool, and I love the little. There's a bit of a fantasy element to this song too. Um, that I really like. I also just love like the opening part. Like I want to reach up, I want to touch the sky, I want to touch the sun, but I don't need to fly. I'm gonna climb up over every mountain on the moon and find a dish that ran away with the spoon. Uh, it, it's it's all like it's like very much about just moving forward. It's like a it's like a bam right out the gate and just like I wanna I wanna touch the sky, I wanna reach out, I wanna do all these things, and then kind of this journey of finding. I don't really need other people. All I really need is myself. Uh, it, it's it's really well done. And, and once again, they really do a phenomenal job at matching the lyrical content with the pace and the tone of the music as well. Mm. This song is so uplifting in so many ways. Just like it's semi-fast tempo. It's nonstop riffs. It's like constantly moving bass line. And just the like explosive vocals from Ozzy. Um and then that's pretty much they they're matching what the song's about pretty dang well there I think yeah they yeah this song is so well done like this is like every time I listen to this song I'm just kind of blown away by it because uh, it has so much power it has so much energy and so much force like it, it's it's unlike really I, I would say maybe the closest equivalent would probably be paranoid because uh, paranoid kind of has that similar mm -hmm. like powerful 
uh, riff. But I would say Supernaut, like, I, I mean, I love Paranoid, but Supernaut, I think, is even better. Like, it just, like, it, it really just goes for it. It's just like a, it's just, it's like a bolt of lightning. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think Supernaut, uh, Supernaut, I think, is my favorite. Actually, no, I'm not going to say Supernaut's my favorite on the album. Uh, I have another song that's my favorite on the album. Mm. Uh, Wheels of Confusion, I'd say, is my favorite on the album. But Supernaut's a very close second. Mm-hmm. Supernaut's just phenomenal. Uh, I think it's fantastic guitars, uh, fantastic riffs, fantastic sound and tone overall, great lyrics, just great composition and, and, and structure as a song. Overall, I just think Supernaut's just brilliant. Yeah, and it's smack dab in the middle of the album, too. Is this the last song of Side A or first song of Side B? Uh, last of Side A, and then yeah. Snowblind is the first of Side B, which I think is a very great uh, placement for those. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to structure the album overall. You're Ab- ending strong and you're starting. See, what you want to do with, like, albums, I think, is... And, spe- and even, like, sides of albums, because when you're listening to it on vinyl, you're kind of getting separate experiences from either side. You kind of want to start by introducing, like a, a viewer or listener to your world, and then end like as bit large as you can. Uh, I think that's a really good way to do it, and that's what they're doing here. Is they're ending side A with just this really explosive thing. They're starting side B. They're like, all right, let's stop. Let's start over for a minute. Let's ease you back into it, and they start with this really like slow, heavy song coming next. Yeah, and definitely like I think the. Uh the opening of Snowblind, I think, is so strong that that's the perfect way to open up Side B. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it, just that structure, as you were talking about, it, it works really well. Yeah, so. they, they're, they're consistently hitting it out of the park in terms of album flow. And that's something I really listen for in an album, because I'm very much like an album-oriented guy. I, listen, I like to listen mostly to just albums in, a, in order instead of just, like, random songs. And... I can I like can recognize that Black Sabbath is we're pioneers of really being able to make an album flow as well as they do. Definitely. And I think also part of it is we've talked about this as we've gone through the albums uh, that Black Sabbath and Paranoid were recorded in like one or two days, pretty much just doing their live sets. And once you got to Master of Reality, that was really them working for weeks in the studio to fine tune and really put together an album. Uh, and I think with Volume 4, they carry over that mindset of uh, Master of Reality where they're kind of tweaking and working on putting together structurally an album. But I think they also kind of take their, the um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of the spontaneity of the first two albums of being able to do it live and work on it live that they bring to Volume 4. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think, like, with everything you were saying about uh, creating and structuring an album and that stuff that you look for, I think once you get to Volume 4, you've seen that they've been working and building on that because um, over the last couple of years that they've really been doing these albums, you can tell that they've matured and grown in terms of how they approach music from when you start out with Black Sabbath to now that we're at this point with Volume 4. And they're, they've really honed it, like, so well from their first album to here. Like, you hear the uh, just the progress that they've made in terms of their song structure, their album structure, 
and just how each song is produced, whether that's, you know, the actual sonically the way it's produced or just the like the level of instruments and the level of layers that they're adding in each like they keeps they keep honing their skills more and more and this album is the peak of that thus far absolutely and it's crazy to me so volume four was 1972 Mm -hmm. this is only two years after they put out their first album in the span of two years they've put out four albums that's so impressive yeah and I think I think Sabbath Bloody Sabbath was seventy three, so they did five albums in three years. Um, it, it's wow, yeah. So it, it it's and now they skipped to, now there were two years that they skipped so they skipped seventy four, and they skipped seventy six because Sabotage was seventy five, and then Technical Ecstasy was seventy, or maybe tech, Technical Ecstasy might have been seventy six. I'm not. I'm getting it a little jumbled. Um, but there were only two years in the span from 1970 to 1978. They put out eight albums. And two of those years, they did not put out an album. So that really shows just how on it yeah. they were. And I think it's incredible just from our point of view now, looking back, that we can see so much growth and disparity uh, from Black Sabbath to Volume 4 when these were only done in the span of two years. I think the fact that it shows so much growth shows how much they've grown in the process of making these. Yeah, that really is an incredible amount of growth for just two short years. It really is. Yeah. All right, so that's going to do it uh, for Supernaut. I want to know, leave all of your thoughts on Supernaut. Uh, Do you agree with us that this is just one of the best Black Sabbath songs? Do you think it's one of the more overrated songs in that you think there are other songs that you would hold up more uh, to be one of Black Sabbath's top rather than Supernaut? I want to know, leave all of your thoughts in the comment section below. So, uh, you and I, I mean, we've done most of this album so far, but you and I specifically, we've done FX, we've done Supernaut, and now we're moving on to Snowblind. Um, so before we get right into it, some interesting facts about this song in particular. So originally, uh, they, Black Sabbath wanted to name the album Snowblind. That was, they wanted to name it, that was the song that they, they wanted to name the album after. However, the studio uh, did not want to name their song, uh, name the album, after such a clear uh, drug reference. And so they ultimately went with Volume 4. But if you look at the inside of the uh, Volume 4 album, in there it actually says while they're listing off uh, everyone who they thank, they say they'd like to thank the great Coca-Cola Company. Um, Coke in all caps, uh, because as, uh, many people know, uh, for the making of volume four, while they were in studio, they would literally have giant speakers full of cocaine delivered to the studio. So they would get these, they would have just giant speakers come in and then they'd open it up and they'd pull out all the cocaine, uh, and they'd do the, do all the cocaine. And that, <laughs> as one does, as one does, uh, and that is how Volume Four was made through speakerfuls of cocaine, uh, and so that's how you get Snowblind, which is one of. This is such a great song. I feel like I'm going to say that for every single song on this album, uh, <laughs> but it's such a great song, uh, and I I just want to get right into it. 
Uh, are you ready? Yep, I'm ready. Alright, let's listen to Snowblind. As we were talking about with uh, Supernaut, I mentioned that the opener of Snowblind is so great that it works so perfectly as the B-side of the album. And I th- it's such a powerful opening. It just it just hits you immediately, you know? Mm-hmm. I love that. I love this riff. Oh, just like the slow arpeggios. Like You got like the rhythm, 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 and then the arpeggios. It repeats a couple times. Mm. And now we're just to our just like, oh, just sit back and let's just cru- cruise along. Yeah. And Ozzy's voice is so great on this song. Yeah. He's got a good good vocal melody there. Mm. And in case you didn't know what the song was about, I they let you know. My brain. Cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Just just like really, really subtly right there. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. I like that line, though. Icicles within my brain. Yeah. Feeling happy in my pain. Icicles within my brain. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of great lyrics on this song. Like very poetic. Like this, the song has a lot of like very uh, poetry esque lyrics, more so than many of their other songs. Yeah, they're like so obviously like the term for cocaine is snow, like snow blind, and then they take that snow and that cold mm. feeling that maybe you get from like the stabs within your nose or your brain of like initially snorting cocaine or whatever. They take that like literally as cold, and they like they're drawing those parallels between mm. cocaine, snow, the sensations, and just coldness. Yeah. So it's like this: if you didn't, if you weren't like aware that it was about cocaine, you might think it's about them being like really cold or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ozzy's just caught in a blizzard. Come on, freezing. No, yeah, that comes guy. that comes years later though. <laughs> With blizzard of Oz. Uh, but I, you're right. I love right. this whole part. My eyes are blind, but I can see snowflakes glisten on the trees. And his voice is so great in this part. Yeah, it's really, like, harmonic here. It's like you got him, usually when he's just, like, screaming his lyrics, it's just, like, one single track, but he's got, like, got a few of them. They're harmonizing with each other. They're, like, kind of sitting a little more with the instrumentals. It's nice. And it's kind of describing, it's, it follows the imagery, imagery that he's describing as well, you know? Mm-hmm. More of a scenic picture. Yeah. It's, it it and then feels very much the like classic Tony solo. Yeah. Yeah. It does. Yeah. And, and Tony's rip, his solos and riffs and everything. And the song changes pace so many times. Like, mm-hmm. like and that's something I, I keep talking about with Sabbath is like, They'll, they'll have so many riffs in one song. And so you have that here, definitely. Like, you have, like, the main riff that we're listening to now. You'll have it solo, but then it completely changes things up. Like, halfway through the song, it goes in a completely different direction. Yeah, they, they, they love doing that. And I love that they do that. For at least yeah. the first, like, for at least the majority of this song, though, they're kind of staying with the same themes, progressions, chords, and whatnot. But that is a very common thing that they do throughout their, a lot of their albums, I think. Yeah. Oh, there's that arpeggiated riff again. I really like that. And then here we go. And here, yep, here we go. This is the mosh part. This is the part <laughs> everyone starts going. Do you hear the guitar play, like the solo guitar, and everyone's just like, oh shit, it's time to, <laughs> time to kill each other. <laughs> yeah. I, and I love this whole part. Uh, 
Don't you think I know what I'm doing? Don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. You're the one who's really the loser. This is where I feel I belong. Yeah, and like the angriness of the lyrics really translates to the angriness of the music for that verse. And then we're right back to the main riff. Yep. And then there's this little part that comes in over this next part that I really like. It's like, is it a keyboard or something? Maybe it's like a pe uh, pedal. It's that little, like, ringing. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to figure out what it is. And then Tony comes in. I could I, see it as being a guitar or a keyboard, honestly. Just yeah. very affected, for sure. Yeah. I know they didn't really like use keyboards prominently until after Sabbath Bloody Sabbath because the song yeah. Sabra Cadabra they used the keyboard with that and then pretty much sabotage Technical Ecstasy and Never Say Die then they were prominently using and touring with a keyboardist I'm blanking on their name um, but that was just like became part of the sound so I don't know if they were using a keyboard necessarily yet when they were doing the song, but it was something. But Tony... Yeah, I think it is one, actually. Yeah. But it's just, you know, like you said, they're not really using it too prominently. It's just an accent here, really. Yeah. Because Tony's still soloing like crazy over it. Yeah. Oh, and it, I love the... I love his solos in this. Like, it, it, it's got the... Ah, oh, it sounds so good. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, um, no, I hear you. So, and very, as we were kind of talking about when we were discussing Supernaut, very interesting uh, c compliments to each other. Like, you have Supernaut, which is just a very aggressive, over-the-top, like, punch-to-the-face kind of song. And then Snowblind starts off as a little bit more slower, more melodic, just kind of, like, easing you into things. And then it hits its high part. And then it kind of slows down again, and and it has, I wouldn't say it's as aggressive as Supernaut, but it has its aggressive points. It, it's definitely like th with that and uh, and Supernaut, like the sort of comparison there. Mm -hmm. It's it's a song structure that like has worked for them a lot in the past, and just works very well in general. I think, um, sort of starting out with a thing and then building to a peak, and then like going back on that a little it helps emphasize that peak too to say like this like peak of loudness of rhythm of melody just like it only happens for a short period of time and that makes it that much more special it makes it stick out to the listener that much more as being like important an important moment and like that's when that's when ozzy's singing about like his anger and the snow blind at least he's singing about his anger of like like, why is everyone judging me for this? Don't tell me what to do. I'm, like, totally happy right now. Don't, don't like, rain on my parade kind of in a very aggressive and angry way. Yeah. He really wants to get his point across, and just the fact that it's right there and only right there really is, like, a wake-up call, I guess, to anyone who's listening. It's, like, if you're going to pay attention to anything in particular, you're going to pay attention to that moment. Definitely. Completely agree. So I guess my next question to you so we discussed Sweet Leaf, and we discussed now Snowblind. How mm. would you both compare and contrast the two, and which would you say you ultimately prefer? I mean, that's so that's such a hard <laughs> comparison to make, honestly. They're both so good. Obviously, the connection being that the two are the, the two drug center songs on uh, that they've done. Yeah, I, I think, I mean... 
from a sonic point of view, I think this song is produced better. I think there's more like ultimately more going on in this song that makes it more of an interesting listen. Um, in terms of lyrics, I guess not being an avid cocaine user, but being a uh, an appreciator of marijuana, I guess I kind of, I, I appreciate um, Sweet Leaf in that way, in that regard. Mm-hmm. And just the lyrics in that one are more like kind of carefree and more like, like, come on, man. Like, I don't even know how to put it in words. You, you get basically what the song's saying. This song, yeah. on the other hand, is like with that middle bridge part aside of the angry, the angry bridge aside. There's some really beautiful imagery in Snowblind, I think, and just the the analogs that they're making to cold weather, to blizzards, and to icicles and things of that nature are really nice. And um, if you just look at those lyrics, like with this, the cocaine um, analogy aside, they're really beautiful lyrics and they really evoke a lot of imagery that I think is just really well written. So this one's like, the more well-crafted and honed-in version of their drug song, and I appreciate it for that regard. But I think Sweet Leaf is the more, like, raw, like, oh, let's just get stoned and, like, rock out kind of vibe. It's a lot more, like, laid back, I guess. This one's taking itself a little more seriously. Yeah. That that makes a lot of sense. I, I agree with all that. I would say, for me personally, I think I may have said this when we did our Sweet Leaf video. I think Snowblind is the more elegant song in that I think I think the lyrics are definitely better. Like I think it's more it's better written mm-hmm. and more well written in Snowblind than Sweet Leaf. I mean, I love the lyrics of Sweet Leaf and I love the feel of Sweet Leaf. Snowblind I think is just more well written as I kind of uh, made the comparison in this video. It feels like poetry. Uh, and Absolutely. I, and everything you're saying with like sort of the the analogy to ice and blizzards and will my ice age ever come and like that whole sort of that line that they draw all the way through with snow uh i think it's just so well done uh i think in terms of like the main riffs because obviously you got the main riff of sweet leaf and you got the main riff of Snowblind. i think the main riff of sweet leaf has more power uh, but I think the main riff of Snowblind kind of fits the song better. I don't mm-hmm. know if that makes sense. But uh, I, I feel like the the overall craft and tone of Snowblind, I think, works better than Sweet Leaf. Although I love Sweet Leaf. I love the main riff. I love the solo in the middle. I love all the lyrics. It just feels to me like Snowblind, they may have sat down a little bit longer and crafted that a little bit more than they did Sweet Leaf. Um, Absolutely. And part of that, I think, may be that they were originally planning on Snowblind being the name of the album, so that was going to be the song. That was going to be the the main focus of the entire album. And probably uh, their constant consumption and love of cocaine made them take it just a little bit more seriously. Uh, and they put a little bit more effort into it. Um, but also just, you know, they, they've had more experience by the time that they get the volume four. they've had, uh, they have master of reality behind them. So they understand a little bit more about putting together an album and structure and flow. And so it just works a little bit more for Snowblind. I love both songs. 
I love them both. I think I would have to slightly take Snowblind over Sweet Leaf, but that's just me. I absolutely love Sweet Leaf um, as well, though. Yeah. I think I, I like them for different reasons, so it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to pick one over the other. I but, think, like, yeah. I guess objectively speaking, I think this is just, like, a better song. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think, in retrospect, I think it's interesting that out of all their songs, they really only have two drug songs. <laughs> Since mm. uh, it, drugs were such a big part of their lives for the eight years that they were together. I guess you could make the case... Hand to Doom is about, like, heroin and drug use, but it's not in the same, I guess, quote, uh, pun intended vein as uh, Sweet Leaf and uh, Snowblind, because Sweet Leaf and Snowblind are all about, like, like, how much they love these drugs and just how great it is. And it's sort of like both are love songs to the drugs that they love, whereas Hand to Doom is more like a cautionary tale about the use of heroin. Uh, yeah. So I guess technically, technically they have three, but I think it's interesting that for how much um, you know, drugs were a part of their lives, that there's only a handful, only a few uh, songs that are actually about that. Yeah. Do you think there was any like pressure from the record companies to like not make too many songs about that? Maybe. I I don't know. That that's a good that's a good point. Maybe, yeah. but I also feel like. They also already did songs that were about that, and I'm sure there were other, I mean, I can't think of specifics off the top of my head, but I'm sure there were other artists around the same time also doing songs about drugs. So, uh, that may have been part of it, but also I feel like as Black Sabbath gets bigger as a band, um, once you get into, say, like the second half of their eight years, they're more calling the shots however i guess to a to a point with sabotage while they were making sabotage they were in and out of all these legal dramas uh mm-hmm. so it that that's a very good point that it may have been more pressure to not go in that direction um but also it may just be that they're kind of their focus for what kinds of things they wanted to discuss change because you definitely see a very interesting if you look at Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, there's definitely a lot of interesting things that they're discussing lyrically in that album. And you also see that once you move on through the rest of the albums. Um, but yeah, I, I think comparing and contrasting Sweet Leaf and Snowblind is a, is a very interesting place to go to. Uh, both are great songs, and I think both have their merits uh, individually. Uh, but I personally would just kind of go a little bit more towards Snowblind. Yeah, they're definitely, like, the analog to each other of Master of Reality and to Volume 4. Um, they share a lot of similarities. If I remember correctly, Sweet Leaf has a very similar song structure to Snowblind, does it not? Yeah, I, I would say yeah. yeah, I'd say it's very much along the same lines, where you have that kind of the mm-hmm. main riff carrying all the way through, and then you have the explosive middle part, and then kind of goes back to that original. Yeah, they kind of share similar lines. Yeah, and just that makes them very two very good songs to compare to one another for a multitude of reasons. Um, but yeah, no, they're both mm-hmm. fantastic songs, and it is surprising that they didn't write more about drugs, but given that they wrote about so many different things, like good for them, honestly, for not just sticking to one concept, because they're writing about change, they're writing about like just crazy stories, they're writing about love, they're like, they're really 
have a they have a decent like reach in terms of the kinds of things that they're writing about. Absolutely. Um, I think the only thing that would have made Snowblind better is if it had the little sample of someone snorting cocaine that <laughs> yeah, repeats, yeah. repeats, and then you go right into it. <laughs> um, well, I, you see this. See, this is Volume Four. This is the album that they're taking themselves more seriously on. Mm-hmm. The last one. It was more of a joke to them. <laughs> well, three songs ago, they were just banging crosses on <laughs> yeah. guitars while completely naked and fucked up. So, <laughs> but they made it sound very eerie. Yes. All right, you, you got you got a point there. Yeah, even though their their motives were totally just joking, like they made it sound like take us seriously. This is serious and scary and spooky. Yeah. <laughs> even though that's not it at all. So, uh, yeah, they. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, yeah, they definitely did a great job. Uh, so this is a very in- nice cluster of songs that we've been discussing here. Um, so mm. uh, I, unless if you have other points you'd like to discuss about Snowblind, I've kind of wrapped up all my thoughts. Yeah, I think I have as well. Two or three, I guess, very great songs for us to talk about all in a row too. Yeah, they just hit, hit, hit. They really do. Absolutely. So vol- volume four is a jam packed album lots to unpack uh and i'll be continuing on through the rest of the album uh before we move on to sabbath bloody sabbath but that's going to do it for our discussion of snowblind i want to know from you uh what are your thoughts on the song do you agree with our lines of thinking uh about the song or do you disagree and i also want to know from you where do you stand on sweet leaf v snowblind uh, do you take the sweet leaf side? Do you take the snowblind side? Not necessarily your preference of drug, but your preference of song. Uh, I, I would also be curious to know your preference of drug as well. Leave yeah, all your either th- or. Yeah, either <laughs> or. Uh, leave all your thoughts in the comment section below. We've already done all the way up through snowblind, and we're continuing on through with cornucopia. Uh, we're getting into the latter half of this album, uh, and as I've said before uh, through this series, uh, Volume 4 is my favorite of the Black Sabbath albums, at least for right now. Uh, as I also have mentioned before, something I've found about myself with Black Sabbath is that my opinions and my taste about Black Sabbath are constantly changing. Um, right now, Volume 4 is my favorite, but who knows, maybe in three months, Technical Ecstasy may be my favorite. You never know. But uh, now that we're getting into the latter half of this album, the B-side of Volume 4 is rather interesting. You have such a strong opening with Snowblind, and then you have a couple of songs uh, in the middle before you get into the the strong finish of Under the Sun um, that are really interesting. There are a few shorter, smaller songs uh, like Cornucopia, like St. Vitus's Dance, but then you also have Laguna Sunrise, which is just a very beautiful, melodic, uh, instrumental. There's a lot of really interesting things. I think the, the A side of volume four is rather jam packed. You have like the strong, really kick-ass opening of wheels and confusion. You have tomorrow's dream, which while it's sort of a simpler song, it has a lot of power to it. Then it kind of goes into changes, which is the slower song. Uh, and then they throw in the little FX, which is like the weird instrumental, part before you go right into Supernaut. Um, and then you have the B-side, which is... I, I just think the construction of this album as a whole is rather interesting. So we're going to listen to Cornucopia. Uh, and as if you've watched these videos for any period of time, 
um, you know that I talk through the songs. This is a commentary. This isn't me listening to the songs for the first time. Uh, I am talking about them as I listen, giving you all my thoughts and everything that I think about this song. So let's jump right into it. This is Cornucopia. And now. No fade in. We're just right into it, which they do a lot on this album, which I think is rather interesting. Um, you do it wheels of confusion. There, a bunch of their songs, they don't really have the fade in. It's just kind of like right into it. Of course, another great riff from Tony Iommi. I love the, is it the fuzz on this? It, it, it's, it's the distortion, the fuzz, whatever. The sound of it just sounds really cool. I love this riff. The drumming is spectacular. I really like the lyrics for this song. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of our dive into this album, there's great diversity um, in terms of the types of things that they're talking about. You have a lot of songs that are more variations of love stories, uh, you have some songs that are kind of going, talking about uh, the state of life and existence and going very, uh, like, more metaphorical in that sense. And then you have something like this, which is more diving into the mind and sort of the heaviness of one's thoughts. Um, and I think you, you see that pop up throughout uh, Black Sabbath songs just in general. Uh, but this is a great example of it. I'm trying to save your brain. I think that's one of the things that you could tell w with the amount of drug use that they're doing um, through the making of these albums, but also just the amount that they are talking about it in their songs. Uh, the emphasis and the focus on the mind and the influence of one's mind uh, and sort of the thoughts that people have, you, you can kind of see that connection and how they sort of draw that line all the way through. I talk a lot about what's the mosh moment of the song. This is the mosh moment. Classic all right from Ozzy. This may be my favorite part, the Scott coming part. I love this. That whole, like, collection of lyrics is just so great. Ozzy's voice just sounds so good. Like, the manic tone and, like, the desperation that he brings to uh, his vocal sensibilities. The the riff, just that, that's, like, the best part of the album. Now, I mentioned when I talked about Tomorrow's Dream how sometimes the, the sound of the two songs are very similar and sometimes, like, I'll get mixed up a little bit. Like, there'll be times where I'm listening to Tomorrow's Dream and we'll get to a point and I, in my head, I just kind of think it's going to go right into that I don't know what's happening part of Cornucopia. Sort of a nihilistic tone to this song, which I love. <laughs>
I love this sort of so good. Alright, that's the end of the song. There's a lot going on in this song. Uh, I, I've talked a lot about, uh, I talked about it with Tomorrow's Dream, how there are a bunch of songs, Black Sabbath will have like their openers and their closers and they'll have the big songs that have a lot going on. And in the case of Volume 4, like Snowblind has how many different riffs, uh, as does Wheels of Confusion. But then they have some of these songs which are more like the transitionary songs as I described them, where they're kind of taking you from one part of the album to the next. They're shorter songs. They uh, don't have, they mainly have like maybe two or three different riffs and it's just kind of going through them. So they're not really uh, jam-packed in terms of, you know, constantly changing things up. Like Cornucopia doesn't have nearly as many changes as, say, huh, get it, changes? As many changes as, say, Snowblind. Uh, but there's sort of the, a lot of power in the, the shorter, more succinct songs that they do. And that's something what I really like is that there is that diversity across the whole album. You have the long form, you know, you have the six, seven, eight minute, however long Wheels of Confusion slash The Strainer is. You have that long form opening. You have such a song like Snowblind that's just constantly changing all the way through. You have the, the slow song with changes. You have FX, which you just have to listen to and go, what the hell is this? Uh, you have such a beautiful song like Laguna Sunrise, which is just like the most beautiful instrumental you can think of and then you have something like cornucopia which is like short and sweet but it's heavy and just thick in terms of uh the sound of it you know there's so much going on throughout this whole album and cornucopia i think is just like a very good example of you know everything that is happening on this album so that's all my thoughts on cornucopia i think this is a damn good song is it a song that i actively seek out and I'm sitting down at my laptop, going to get some work done. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to listen to Cornucopia. No, not necessarily. I kind of fit in the same vein as, say, an After Forever or Lord of This World or Tomorrow's Dream. But when it comes up on my record or when it comes up on the playlist, you know I'm going to enjoy Cornucopia. That's all my thoughts on the song. I want to know, what do you think of Cornucopia? Do you agree with me and my thoughts on it? Or do you have a different take on it? Leave all of your thoughts in the comment section below. Uh, and I will, after we finish Volume 4, as I usually do, I will be wrapping up all this uh, talk of Volume 4 by taking a look at your thoughts that you leave in the comments section. So make sure, if you haven't left thoughts uh, on the previous videos for Volume 4, do so, uh, as well as going forward, and I will take all those, compile them, and answer them in a video after we finish the album. We've gone all the way up through Cornucopia, and now we are continuing on with their second instrumental of the album, Laguna Sunrise. And this is a really interesting song, not just in of itself, but especially when you compare it to the other instrumental uh, on the album, FX. They are virtually, they, not even virtually, they are nothing alike. <laughs> if you were to play for somebody uh, FX, and then you were to play Laguna Sunrise, I don't think anybody could remotely tell you uh, that they're the same band. Not in the slightest. I, uh, aside from Sabbath fans, of course. Uh, I don't think anybody would remotely be able to tell that those are from the same people because they are so drastically different. And they're only a few songs apart on the album. So uh, let's just get right into it. This is Laguna Sunrise. And now. I love whenever Tony... 
and the rest of the people, but really, like, for some of these instrumentals, most of them, maybe not Rat Salad, but for a lot of these instrumentals, it's really Tony-focused, and it's like Tony just getting to play something beautiful. I love that they do this. You know, like, again, you listen to this album, you wouldn't think that the album that has FX, or has Supernaut, or has, um, Wheels of Confusion would necessarily have a song like this, but it's just so beautiful, you know? It really just shows how talented they are, how gifted they are, and they're not just a one-trick pony. They can, it's not just that they, oh, we can only play songs like this. They can do anything. You know, these are the people who did Solitude. These are the people who did Planet Caravan. These are the people, in, in the same vein, the people who did Planet Caravan and Solitude and Laguna Sunrise can also do Black Sabbath. They can also do uh, War Pigs. They can also do Fairies Wear Boots. They can do Sweet Leaf, you know. They can just do so much. And that's why I think they are just the greatest of all time. That they can do everything. As a lot of you know, I kind of come from a movie background. And so I, when I look at what are, like, the best filmmakers, um, one thing I look for is their diversity. That, you know, may, that they can do more than just one thing. There may be directors who are great at doing one kind of movie, but who I judge as the greatest filmmakers of all time are the ones who can do drama and comedy and action and horror. And they can do all of it, and they do it all excellent and brilliantly. That, to me, is the makings and the, the hallmarks of the greatest of all time. And with Black Sabbath, it's not just that they do metal excellently. It's not just that they do rock excellently. It's that they can do this. And it's beautiful and gorgeous and that they can do a horror song with Black Sabbath and it's beautiful and it's excellent and they can do Sweet Leaf and it's beautiful and it's excellent and they can do FX you know it just goes on and on and on they are the greatest of all time because they can do virtually anything that they want and it's excellent I mean listen to this It's beautiful. It's 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 just beautiful. When I think of the diversity of Black Sabbath and the kinds of things that they can do, Laguna Sunrise has to be one that you point to as like, listen to this. You know, listen to sit someone down, play them FX, play them Laguna Sunrise, and say, is this the same band? I guarantee you. 9.9 times out of 10, people who aren't affiliated or know Sabbath are going to be like, oh, no, there's no way. There is absolutely no way. I bet you FX was like, you know, some SoundCloud person just fucking around with their guitar and just uploaded it. And then Laguna, Laguna Sunrise is this like orchestral piece of like these seasoned, brilliant musicians. Uh, there's no way that they're the same person or the same group, but they are. And that just shows how great Black Sabbath really is. So I want to know, what are your thoughts on Laguna Sunrise? Do you agree with me that it's just such a testament to how great they are in terms of their diversity and being able to do so many different kinds of things? Not just being able to do different kinds of things, but doing different kinds of things brilliantly. Do you agree with me on that front? Or do you think, eh, Laguna Sunrise, sure, it sounds nice, but every time I listen to Laguna Sunrise, I'm just waiting for them to get back to the metal. 
What are your thoughts? Leave your thoughts in the comment section below. We've gone all the way up through Laguna Sunrise, and now we are continuing on with St. Vitus's Dance, which I think is one of Black Sabbath's most underappreciated, under-talked-about um, song that they've ever done. Nobody talks about this song, and it's great. So I'm not going to say any more. Let's just get right into it. This is St. Vitus's Dance. And now. I mean... How awesome is that riff? And how awesome is that riff? <laughs> There's sort of similarities with this song to uh, Paranoid, the song. Because, you know, it's kind of just, you know, a one or two riffs with Ozzy kind of singing to this sound of the riff, you know. Sometimes Ozzy's doing his own thing in terms of, like, the vocal sound, and sometimes he's just singing to the, the same rhythm of the riff, and that's kind of what he does here, and that's what he does in Paranoid. Not a bad thing at all. Just an interesting comparison that I haven't thought about until just now. It's just, it's, it's just great riffs. That's all it is, you know. It's a short song, it's a simple song, there's like maybe two, three parts to it. There's not much going on. Sort of similar to Cornucopia in that sense, where it's really only a two or three riffs, couple of parts. It's shorter, not too much going on, but it's just brilliant. Ozzy just sounds great here, as he does on the whole album. And I talked about before that there are a few different love-themed songs on the album. Changes, I think, is more of a like a breakup or a heartbreak song than a love song. Tomorrow's Dream is like a play on a love song. This is sort of a love song, too, uh, in a way. It, it, it's interesting, you know, because I'm not a fan of love songs. Like I've said before, I don't like love songs. I just think they're like, okay, we get it, you know. But Black Sabbath, even when they do a love song, they find ways to make it interesting. Because uh, this isn't just, oh, this person's in love with that person, and oh, I'm going to sing about how full my heart is and how much I love you and all that stuff. They're not singing about that. It's about being betrayed by someone who you trusted and trying to convince somebody to take that person back because they're just filled with regret. Even when they're doing a love song, they find a way to make it something different and unique and that's that's just that's just part of the magic of black sabbath nobody talks about saint vitus's dance nobody does and there's there's definitely a few songs when i look at the entirety of black sabbath um there are definitely a few songs that i would say this song is just criminally underappreciated. like i would say the writ is one of my favorite nobody talks about the writ nobody talks about the writ um, I'm sure there are other ones that I'm just blanking on. I know there are for a fact. Um, a few songs from Never Say Die, you know. Uh, it's All Right does not get nearly as much appreciation and love as it deserves. And I may be on the minority of that, but damn it, 
I love It's All Right from Technical Ecstasy. I love that song, and I will fight anyone on that. <laughs> um, but this is, I, I'll, ta- I'll save my thoughts on It's All Right until we talk about Technical Ecstasy, which that'll be an interesting album to talk about. But um, no, it, it, it's St. Vitus's Dance. Not nearly enough people talk about this song. It was interesting. Um, so I'm sure a lot of you know, if you don't know, um, at the end of the year, Spotify does this sort of rap- wrapping up of Spotify and they tell you, you know, the top five artists you listen to, the songs that you listen to the most and all that kind of stuff. And I posted my results because it was mostly Black Sabbath themed uh, on the Observing the Sabbath uh, Instagram account that we have at Observing the Sabbath. Um, in it, I, when it went through and told me my top five songs, St. Vitus's Dance was like number four, which I was surprised by because I mean, I know I like the song and I've listened to the song a bunch. I did not expect it to be like my number four most listened to song of the year. Um, Wheels of Confusion, of course, was number one. Uh, I was not expecting that, but I mean, it's a damn good song. You know, it's short. It's similar to what I was saying about Cornucopia. It's short. It's sweet. There's only a couple of pieces to it. It's not that... Uh, involved of a song, but it's just taking you through the album. It's just taking you, like, it's a nice little uh, piece to go right into the final song of the album. So anyways, those are all my thoughts on St. Vitus's Dance. I want to know, what do you think about the song? Do you agree with me? Do you, or do you think that, you know, eh, it's kind of, you know, it, it's a couple of riffs. We get it. There's not too much going on. It's not really one that should be talked more about or appreciated more than it currently is. I want to know. Leave all your thoughts in the comment section below. Well, once again, I'm Nathaniel Molnar. Thank you so much for watching. Make sure to like, make sure to comment, make sure to subscribe for more content as we finish the album volume four. We only have one more to go. We have Under the Sun, uh, and then we will be done with the album I will then be posting an album review slash reading your thoughts uh, in the comment section. Usually I post those as two separate videos, but I decided from now on, I'm just going to link them as one. I will do one video that is my review of the album, and then I'll take a look at all the comments uh, that are on all the videos and just sort of as like one big wrapping up of the album. And then we're going to be going into Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. That's crazy to me. Uh, We will be on the... By the time that we get to the one-year anniversary of of observing the Sabbath, which will be March of 2021, will be one year that we've been doing this, uh, we will be probably, I'd imagine, ha- at least halfway through Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, if not done with the album at that point, um, which is kind of crazy, uh, and especially since I had some dry spells where I wasn't putting out videos. Um that that's fun. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to get to that album. It'll mean that we're halfway through all eight albums. Uh and I I, I think I'll end up doing 13 cuz why not? Uh so technically nine albums, but we'll be halfway through. Uh and that's cool. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to dive into South Bloody South cuz that uh album has some great songs that I love and I'm especially excited to talk about Sabotage. Because that is like, I think that's my second favorite album. Or second or third favorite album. There's some great stuff. And talking about songs that are criminally underappreciated and under-talked about. Thrill of it all. Nobody talks about Thrill of it all. And that is like a top five Sabbath song. Nobody talks about Thrill of it all. Top five Sabbath song, in my opinion, of course. So anyways, that's everything about St. Vitus' Dance. 
we have done all the way through. Let me make sure I get this order right. We have done Wheels of Confusion, we've done Tomorrow's Dream, we've done Changes, we've done FX, we've done Supernaut, we've done Snowblind, we've done Cornucopia, we've done uh, Laguna Sunrise, and we have done St. Vitus's Dance. Yes, I got it all right. And now we are finishing off with Under the Sun. What an album, what an album indeed. This is just, this, this is such a good album. But I will save all my thoughts on Volume 4 as a whole, until we do the album review episode slash your thoughts on volume four. That's right. Uh, in the past, I have done separate videos for the album review and for reading the comments section, which is your thoughts on the album. But I'm going to be doing it as just one video from here on out just to make it a little bit more concise. So make sure, uh, including this video, but all the previous videos for volume four, Go in, leave all your thoughts, leave all your comments on all the songs for all the videos, and uh, I will make sure to talk about each and every one of them in the that upcoming video. So let's just dive right into it. This is the final song of Volume 4. This is the closing act. This is Under the Sun. And now. Again, something that's sort of consistent through the whole album. No fades in just right into the song. Sort of similar to uh, Ratsod slash Fairies Wear Boots where you get the drum heavy closer. Just, of course, just Tony just pulls out of his ass just another great riff. <laughs> like it's nothing. To him, it's a pocket change. Lyrically, I think this is maybe my favorite black or song from this album. Lyrically. It is so interesting. I I've talked about before. You have such in terms of like the discussion of religion and religious views, there's such there's sort of like an interesting arc to it through the albums. You start um, with uh, Black Sabbath, the original album, which has more of like a satanic view. And then you get into Master of Reality, which is more, it has some Christian themes to it. And then once you get to Volume 4 on, it has more of an agnostic slash atheistic view. Um, and I think like this song in particular, you, you hear it in Supernaut, Got No Religion, Don't Need No Friends. You hear it in Under the Sun very explicitly. Uh, you hear it throughout the album. Uh, it's there's a lot of great stuff in this song. Lyrically, it's just the most interesting. This is like examining life and just looking at existence and life as a whole. Um, and I've talked about the diversity of the, the subject matters on this album. You have the love songs or the love sort of centric songs. You have the more the songs that are just kind of looking at life in its entirety, uh, like this or Wheels of Confusion. You have the songs that are diving into the mind and uh, with Cornucopia. You have the songs that are about drugs, Snowblind. Uh, this is just one of the more profound, lyrically speaking, profound songs. Not just on the album, but just Black Sabbath in general. Beautiful drums. This is really, I, I think, we haven't really had a true, like, part in this whole album for Bill Ward to shine. I mean, he's great on every song that he does. But, you know, with Paranoid, you have Rat Salad, which is his time to shine. Um, 
I'm completely blank. Oh no, Sweet Leaf. You kick it off in uh, Master of Reality, he gets his sort of opening part with, uh, with the drums in Sweet Leaf, which is great. And then it's Under the Sun, where he really gets to shine. Of course, Tony's great. Of course, Yeezer's great. Of course, Ozzy's great. But Bill Ward really gets his moments to shine in this song. So, if I were to compare and contrast for a minute, Into the Void and Under the Sun. Lyrically speaking, I think I prefer Under the Sun in terms of sound and tone and being the better closer to an album. I would say Into the Void is better. Even though I I would take as a whole the album volume 4 is like top top and Master of Reality is definitely on the lower end for me, which I go against the grain on that thought. But Into the Void, I think, is the stronger closing song. Uh, and maybe the stronger song overall. But lyrically speaking, I take Under the Sun. There's a lot of great lines in this song. And this whole closing part of the song is just excellent. It really feels like they're wrapping up the album here. Which they do such a great job of with the closers to their albums. The closing songs to all their albums aren't just great songs, but they feel like definitive. It, it feels like this whole part is just slowly but surely tying the knot on the bow to the album. Now, of course, Tony gets his part. Like, okay, Bill, you're gonna get your part. Tony, you're gonna get your part. Ozzy's got his part. Um, I'm sure Geezer has his moment in here, although I might not hear it specifically just with the one earbud in. This whole close part, it's the reward you get for listening to the whole album. It's the thank you. And I like how much they draw it out. They draw it out so much. It's great. Because you just don't want the album to end. So you're so happy that they're taking their time to really end it. I love that. They're drawing it out. It's not over yet. Oh, so good. Wow. What an ending. What an ending indeed. That that is just I love Under the Sun. Again, I would take into the void in terms of the sound, the tone and being the better closer to an album, but I would take Under the Sun being better lyrically, and just Volume 4 as an album, I would take that over Master of Reality as an album. But Under the Sun, I mean, maybe not the most unique or um, mind-blowing guitar riffs uh, compared to the whole album. Like, obviously, I think Supernaut and Snowblind and Wheels of Confusion and even St. Vitus's Dance or those songs have stronger guitar elements than 
Under the Sun, but Under the Sun didn't need to have these, like, incredible, incredible, like, mind-blowing, on-the-same-par-of-a-supernaut guitar elements. It didn't need that, because this was, A, it was giving Bill Ward his time to shine. Um, it was just going more into, like, really interesting and fun uh, and thought-provoking lyrics uh, every day just comes and goes, life is one long overdose, people try to rule the nation, I just laugh at their frustration, you know, going into that whole element, and just kind of drawing out the end and making it just a nice ending to the album. Uh, so, th that's one thing, is like, when I look at Into the Void, I think Into the Void has some of the strongest guitar elements and instrumentation of Master of Reality. Under the Sun doesn't quite have that, which is fine, and I don't mean to say, like, oh, like, this this song only has to be compared to Into the Void. Like, that's it, it absolutely stands on its own, and I just do that looking at the two albums and their closing songs. Uh, but Under the Sun, I think, is just, it's a great song. I love it. Uh, it is a song I actively seek out and put on and listen to. Uh, and it's, it's a great closing song. It's just a great song in general. Um, and lyrically speaking, it's one of my favorites. So anyways... That's my thoughts on, I don't think that was proper grammar. Those are my thoughts. There we go. On Under the Sun, the final song on volume four. I want to know what are your thoughts on this song? Do you agree with me in my comparison uh, to Into the Void and where I stand on that? Or do you differ on that? Uh, leave all of your thoughts in the comment section below. Once again, I'm Nathaniel Molnar. Thank you so much for watching. Make sure to like, make sure to comment, make sure to subscribe for more content. So get all of your comments and your thoughts in for all the videos for volume four, uh, because the next video will be my album review slash your thoughts on volume four. And I'll talk about all of your comments in that video. And then we'll go right into Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. So until then, until my album review slash reading the comment section video, thank you for watching.